0: Hello and welcome to Unheard's Christmas special. Yes, we are a few days before Christmas, and that's why we're sitting here in a specially designed set at the Unheard Club. We have a Christmas tree behind us. I'm wearing my traditional velvet Christmas outfit as are our guests, we are 100% in velvet. And we've also chosen to break the space-time continuum by Florence and myself, both presenting this week's episode. So that's, that's a world first.
2: It is. We've been seen in the same room for the first time we ever. We
0: actually both exist. <laughs> and our topic, unsurprisingly, is Christmas. Because you might think that Christmas is a time of peace and plenty. Your, your visions might be of sort of cherubic choir boys walking down the aisle of some cathedral to the tune of Once in Royal Davis City. No. Our guest today has a very different view of what the essence of Christmas is, and looking across the ages at the history of Christmas is going to present us with an alternative thesis. So prepare to forget everything you think you know about the festival we're about to enjoy, and let's learn something new. Flo.
2: Tom Hodgkinson is the editor of The Idler magazine, and he is in fact my former employer. I had many good years working at The Idler, and he joins us to tell us a little bit about the chaotic origins of the Christmas festival. But first, before it was Christmas, it wasn't Christmas, was it? It was something else entirely.
3: Christmas means a mass to celebrate the birth of Christ. Well, we know that. That's what the word Christmas means. It's a midwinter festival. I think that's the sort of key thing about it. And in countries where it's very cold in midwinter, it's actually a very natural thing and an ancient idea to have a big party. It's a time of no work. It's a time when you can't go out into the fields, you can't plough, you can't harrow, you know, and it's cold outside. So the uh, traditions that we have at Christmas are in fact basically sort of ancient um, and they're common to many, Pre-Christian. many- Pre-Christian. Pre-Christian, certainly, yeah. I mean, um, the, the famous Roman festival, at, uh, midwinter festival was Saturnalia, and it has other features of Christmas that, that we enjoy too. Which is that order is sort of turned upside down. So the Saturnalian feasts uh, involved, you know, uh, elevating a slave to be king for a day and this sort of thing. Very sort of playful. So when you see, you know, sometimes people are a bit kind of snooty about um, the sort of drunken guy walking down Oxford Street, you know, tie askew with a pair of antlers on his head, you know. So that's not really the spirit of Christmas. That really is, you know, that sort of drunkenness letting the real world go a long break from work you know and so this saturnalia and all sorts of ancient midwinter feasts and festivals sort of morph into the christian christmas because some academics anyway reckon that the church elders thought well this is a kind of this is happening anyway so let's kind of appropriate it and mix it in with the with the birth of christ and that's where you get this kind of quite strange mix of you know Pagan symbolism, Father Christmas has got a sort of green man sort of quality, you know, and he was originally a sort of green man, like a sort of elf spirit or spirit of the woods, uh, mixed in with, you know, conventional sort of piety and Christian worship. So Saturnalia,
0: just to do a bit of a kind of chronological sweep through this, Saturnalia, is that different then from Midsummer festivals, from the kind of Bacchanalia, um, kind of feasting, what's... What is Saturnalia? And well, it, it was, it's do? very
3: similar to all of those, I think. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a sort of thorough expert, but you know, going back to Greek times, in fact, all ancient civilizations had lots and lots of feast days and holidays, and there were religious societies. So there were days set aside for praying to the gods, and then there would be a sort of feast at the end. And I think about the the feast they have at the end of Asterix, you know, um, when the when the when the battle's done, you know, and there's a sort of massive feast. And this is written about, obviously, in Homer and um, Ovid, I think, wrote a, a book called Festi and Fasti, which is about the feast days and the, and the holy days, festivals and fasts. So these are actually pre-Christian ideas. Um, and Saturnalia, I think it was just before, was something like, I think it was around the 23rd of December. And of course, sorry, the other obvious thing to say is it's about the shortest day of the year, isn't it? So I think the solstice is around 20, 21st, 22nd.
0: So there was a kind of chaotic, you're saying that slave would be appointed a kind of temporary king it's like an inversion of the normal order. That's what we're supposed to feel at the darkest day of the year.
3: Exactly right, yeah. So so I guess for one day, or for, or for possibly a few days, I mean, 12 days of Christmas, you know, we might come back to that, but in medieval times, you really did take 12 days off uh, for Christmas, unless you were the cook. <laughs> so I guess, at the idler, you support bringing back the full 12 <laughs> we days. We certainly do, yeah. But it, it has almost come back kind of of its own accord, hasn't it? because we do get this sort of extended holiday because it, it, go, it, it sort of morphs into uh, the new year holiday, uh, which is another thing.
2: Perhaps we could talk about the, the Danes a little bit because they imported by force a, a, a different Christmas tradition when, when they invaded. Tell us more about that.
3: Yes, <laughs> I compared that slightly to the, the recent Danish trend of hygge, which is the, the trend of staying inside, gathering around the candle and everything being sort of simple and quiet at Christmas. It's, it's all the same sort of thing really, isn't it, you know, um, and Virgil said, you know, uh, winter is the farmer's lazy time. Uh, so the Danes, I think, uh, had the word Yule, um, and there was the idea of the Yule log, which is an enormous log that you sort of bung on the fire, which burns and burns and burns, and that was incorporated into, into later Christmas traditions. And then we sort of move into the medieval, European medieval Christmas, and the word merry, which I think is such a lovely word, and it's not very often used in everyday parlance, apart from next to the word Christmas, you know, generally, n- nowadays. Generally means drunken as well. Uh, wow. it, and it does mean a bit merry, it means a little bit drunk. Um, out of control, you might say. And out of control, a bit. It's, very, it's a very, very common word in Shakespeare. I looked up in the concordance and it's like, uh, it, it crops up like two or three hundred times in Shakespeare plays. the word merry. But the medieval Christmas, you get a wonderful sort of image of certainly the kind of Christmas that the posh people would have had in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And there, you know, Christmas does go on for a full 12 days or, or even longer. And the Laws and the Ladies give themselves over to dancing and games and pleasure and fun and, and being silly. So the, 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 the sort of inversion that we were talking about earlier, you know, the slave is king for a day and that sort of thing. Everything's upside down. You know, it, it's a time for silly games. Let me just read the quote here.
0: You've, you've given us a quote from a kind of modern translation of Gawain and the Green Knight. For there the feast was alike full fifteen days, with all the meat and mirth men could devise. Such clamour and glee, glorious to hear, dear din in the daylight, dancing of nights, all was happiness high in halls and chambers with lords and ladies. So that's, their, that's the Christmas vibe in, what is going in the Green Knight? I
3: don't know. I think it's 14th century. 14th yeah. century. Yeah. So it's a, it's a party. It's a party. Um, yes, I, th- I think it's a bit just before Chaucer, I think. Uh, there's an, uh, by the way, it's extremely well read, Freddie. Thank you. Um, and hasn't it got, isn't it a lovely poem with the alliteration in it? Makes it sound a bit like sort of Gerald Manley Hopkins or something. I think it, it actually sounds quite modern to me, the way it's written. But uh, and, and I forgot it was fifteen days for Christmas then, so
2: even longer uh, than we've got. Even now. longer
3: than we have got now. Um, so would
2: they have thrown the doors open? These kind of aristocratic figures, of the lords and ladies, would they have invited people from the yesterday. towns into their home?
3: Yeah, and this is a, this is another pre-Reformation because we're going to come onto that in a moment because because uh, you know Christmas has undergone. Vicious, severe, and violent attacks over the last five or six hundred years. But um, (laughs) the pre Reformation Christmas was also about charity, you know, which it still is, looking after the poor. Uh, And Thomas Tusser, who wrote a kind of late medieval or Tudor sort of guide to gardening, he said that at Christmas time, everyone, you know, rich people throw open their doors. In medieval times, there was actually less separation between servants and masters. There wasn't a sort of down-to-nabby thing, upstairs, downstairs.
0: Got a quote here, just gonna come in with that. This is Thomas Tusser, who you mentioned. At Christmas we banquet the rich with the poor, who then but the miser but openeth his door? So that, that's sort of it's both things, isn't it? It's the inversion, but also this the charitable aspect. You don't actually hear that much about the charitable aspect these days. So it's sort of...
2: Well, it's been turned into something dark, hasn't it? Now we talk about, when we think about Christmas charity, the appeals are always very, very depressing. Mm. And it sounds like that was about a generosity of spirit mm. rather than feeling sorry for people. You say, look, let's share in this joy rather than, Ooh, let's all share in this depression. Do you, know
3: who are, do you know people who are opening their doors to? We don't do that much anymore, do we? And, and the, the aristocrats were definitely expected to do that, as they would be at, uh, for example, Wakes. So everyone could just turn up and get the, get, get the free handouts, get the booze and the food and the, the, the fatted capons and spiced wines and so on, you know, the wassailing or whatever it was. And that was a very genuine feature of pre-reformation, uh, certainly England, probably, you know, Europe. Because the church, you know, um, the church, which was obviously very powerful, was preaching charity, caritas, looking after people. It's a form of love, you know, it, it was a duty, particularly for the rich people. And also, that actually goes back to Romans and Greeks when the rich people were expected to sort of dole out a lot back into society.
2: The kind of agape principle.
3: The agape principle, yeah. The, one of the sort of Greek words for love. OK, so do we need to hear about the Reformation now? Are we ready? Are we ready? <laughs> are, we ready
0: are we ready for the yeah. Reformation? So where have we got up to? Give us a kind of date. Well, rough I'm, dates, I'm thinking yeah.
3: about sort of, well, let's say we're on sort of something like 1500. Yeah. Um, so this is about you know, 70 or 100 years before Shakespeare. Who most of his plays was, you know, I think Twelfth Night was 1601. So that just gives you a kind of rough idea of where we are. So it's, that's
0: carrying on basically in some way that that same spirit that was inherited from the ancients comes through a kind of early medieval period, right up to the early modern It pre- is very Henry much age. there,
3: yeah. And I mean, my, the historian I get a lot of this from is Ronald Hutton, who's a professor at his, of history at Bristol and he wrote a book called The Rise and Fall of Merry England, and he says that, you know, people used to think this idea of Merry England was a myth. Uh, He says no, it wasn't a myth actually, because um, in this late medieval period, from about 1350 to sort of 1550 roughly, or 1535, um, just before the Reformation, there actually was a Merry England, and the reason uh, we were merry was because merriment was actually encouraged by the church because the church wanted people to sort of bond and get together. They knew it was good for community spirit. There was maypole dancing, lots of days off, lots of feast days, fast days, as we said, a, a long, long Christmas festival, a long Easter festival. And the, circus, the church put on the parties and sold the booze to raise money to make, to make more churches. And There was a church building kind of boom.
0: But so this actually, it's often a kind of complaint that people make of the, Protestant versus Catholic difference, isn't it? That you go to a Catholic church even now, and it has more of a can have more of a party atmosphere in that yeah. there's there's multiple generations, there's kids running around, it's noisy, it takes ages, it feels more sort of party-like in a way, yeah, even though it can bells be bells and very smells, bells and smells, yeah. and so I, I mean the sense I'm getting is that we're going to be painting the Reformation as a bit of a of a of the the anti-Christmas.
3: Spirit, am I am I am I right? Absolutely, because they saw it as popish. So the, the 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 Christmas reformers, who are the sort of very, the modernists of the day, the the kind of you know the people who would eventually end up as a sort of Cromwellian type, you know, um, forward thinking, forward moving, we're getting rid of this old popish superstition. And they say so all the maypoles came down. They said there was thinking idol that you know got people into a sort of mood where they wanted to have sex and. Uh, and so maypoles were kind of put up by Satan. And Christmas was a satanic festival. I mean, they actually said this. And Christmas, gradu- it, it, was, it was completely banned in Scotland. They got there first, the Presbyterians, you know. Um, and you still have that today that they don't really... Um, you know, New Year's Eve is a much bigger deal for, uh, for, for, for the Scots than, than Christmas. So, so Christmas. So they
0: have a more solemn... Restrained the affair, yeah,
3: so the the, the medieval uh, sorry, the, the the reformers, you know, the Protestant or Puritan reformers, they said that you know medieval Christianity had become hopelessly corrupt. You know, people selling uh, the, the monks were, you know, uh, swigging claret and uh, dressed in purple ermine um, robes or whatever.
2: So they're, still um, su- so they're still suffering the Dur effects of Puritanism, even even now.
3: Well, I think we are, you know, and, and so this, this, this sort of battle started. So, so Christmas was seen as a sort of superstitious, uh, popish, satanic festival that was just like a relic of a, an ancient time. It was pagan, it was ridiculous. It's like, how could we... It's, it's a bit like we might think about uh, horoscopes. So that's how they saw Christmas, you know, just... just uh, a relic of a, of relic of, a like, less sort of, sophisticated you era. Know, when we were so sort of unscientific and so on and so forth. Is
0: this, just to be precise, is this the kind of sort of Lutheran first wave, or is this, are we talking about kind of later Puritans, are we talking about, you know, 1650, 1660, well, Civil right.
3: War time? I'm sort of, I'm just kind of mixing them together, but yeah, the, 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 the Reformation is where it sort of starts. You know, in the Reformation, 1535, Henry VIII's soldiers smash up all the churches, all the monks and nuns are turned out into the streets, and the old monasteries are handed to his mates who were today's aristocrats, earls and lords, you know. So that was the beginning? That was the sort of beginning of it, yeah. Um, you know, because people still love celebrating Christmas and all through the Tudor period, you know, people were still celebrating it and... Um, but some people would, you know, make a big point at keeping their shops open on Christmas day, for example. Um, you know, I'm not celebrating Christmas, this is, you know, I'm, I'm not doing it. They're taking
2: so like a moral stand against they're Christmas. They're taking a moral
3: stand. <laughs> and it, but the, the real crackdown, yeah, as you say, Freddie, came a bit later in um, a sort of Cromwell period, the Interregnum, when it was actually banned. Christmas was literally cancelled. Christmas was cancelled, yeah.
2: Was it illegal? It was uh,
3: It It was. It was, it was. virtually illegal. I mean, it was certainly, it was massively frowned upon.
2: Did you have to go underground if but you, you were going to had to go
3: celebrate? underground, yeah. So there were these sort of anti-Christmas, like having a rave, you know, because some people it, uh, carried on having Christmas parties and they will be sort of broken up by the sort of anti-Christmas police of the time.
2: So the lockdown breakers of Christmas?
3: It was exactly the same, yeah. And then and people, uh, uh, people still carried on celebrating it. So someone in, in, the, you know, in the House of Lords or the House of Commons complained and stood up and said, look, I thought we'd ban Christmas, but I heard a lot of noise last time. You know, people still <laughs> see, seem to be celebrating the superstitious Popish Feast. So
2: history does really repeat it itself, really does repeat and itself. Right over and well, it's over.
0: Like, is it almost like we're sort of still there in some, I mean, People talk about cancelling Christmas all the time. Yeah. It, just, it does feel like, if you're talking about the Cromwell period, mm-hmm. where you have these so two very different strands of English mentality, the kind of re- restrained, severe, Puritan side, and then the kind of the Merry England, which occasionally gets submerged, and then, you know, after the Cromwell period, it then kind of came back with Charles II. Yeah. Do you think we're basically still having that battle as a culture, as a which, which one is virtuous?
3: I think that's exactly right. And it, it may even go even deeper than that, that it's something deep inside the sort of human psyche, there's uh, a kind of a battle between the inner Puritan and the and the, in, the inner sort of merry merrymaker. You know, you, you see these battles played out in, uh, in Twelfth Night. Malvolio represents the Puritan uh, finger-wagger. Um, his name obviously means, I wish bad. Um, and then Toby Belches and Maria are part of the old-fashioned uh, medieval culture. Which is about cakes and ale, d- dancing and drinking all night. But also, they can be quite cruel. So they were. They were also into bear baiting and cockfighting. The Puritans actually cracked down on bear baiting too because they said it was cruel. It was cruel to animals. So there are, you know, um, there's something, something positive about it. And you know, and the, the Puritans were saying, you know, the, you know, the people are being being corrupted. But look at the difference in the singing in the churches, the the Protestant churches. Think of the ones in the States in the 19th century, very simple. Um, a wooden church, a house house, little house on the prairie sort of thing, you know, prim and sort of funless. But yeah, so the, the
0: Puritans... It's interesting you do a slight defence of the Puritans there. We had Tom Holland for a previous Christmas special in this very room before it was done up and he was also making a bit of a defence of Puritans. He thinks they're quite misunderstood. And that actually he, he quite admires them and that they were driven by this like true sort of ethic and true desire to be good, which is actually quite admirable. Do you, does, what's the idler position well, they're, on they're, the Puritans? Yeah,
3: some of the Puritans, um, well, look at the Quakers. They, they were like Puritan stormtroopers and we sort of quite like Quakers. They, 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 they made chocolate. Um, they sort of looked after people, and there was peace-loving. That That's that the summit of their accomplishments? <laughs> well,
2: they, did, they did oats as well.
3: They, they, yes. they built Bourneville, didn't they? You know, and um, the Fry Company and so on and so forth. Uh, and also, actually, uh, there was, there's a kind of uh, part of Quakerism, which is very radical and almost anarchist in its pacifism. So Tolstoy was influenced by these uh, Boston uh, anti-war groups, of the sort of early 19th century, for example, and then he went on to influence Gandhi. So there's a sort of funny line there um, of the, the extreme Quakers. But there's, there's something, personally, I find the, even the Quakers a little bit, you know, they're teetotal. Um, bit dour. A bit do, yeah, you know, and yes, there's a lot lots to be admired about them. And they probably they, they wouldn't go cockfighting. They wouldn't, you know, uh, uh, bait bears and so on. I
2: have I have a little begrudging kind of respect, though, for this anti-decadent movement that we that we've got. And maybe it does end in a kind of puritan puritanistic feeling. But, you know, you read things about factory farming for example and then you see the George Monbiot's or whatever in the Guardian saying you know Christmas is a time to go vegan and it feels you know punitive on our pleasure at Christmas but you look into it and you think well there's a point there, there is a yeah. kind of moral centre that all of this carnivalesque pleasure-seeking yeah. doesn't have that same moral centre, unless that centre is pleasure.
3: Yes, but uh, you can, I think you, you can have both, you know, because um, it, it's, it's, it's a short period, perhaps 12 or hopefully 15 days of um, total licentiousness, and then you go back to work on Plough Monday, as it used to be. The, the other thing to say about Christmas is that, you know, it, the, the modern Christmas was more or less recreated by Dickens. Just before we get, I've got to just, okay, sorry, I yeah. want to finish the Civil War here. <laughs> okay, we're still It's
0: my War, yeah. kind of Puritan, sort of co- sequential <laughs> <Time killer>. brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cannot leap around. No, too much Too anything. much carnival chaos. <laughs> Let's finish the Civil War. So there were actually riots. Yeah, there was sort of Christmas being cancelled, Royalist versus Cromwellian riots going on throughout. The- Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat
3: the interregnum is that right or, or what was happening there? Yeah there, there, there were there were these sort of Christmas riots. I don't know what the comparison would be it was a bit like having raves in, you know uh, governments are quite so sort of naturally puritanical and some of your viewers and listeners might remember uh, in the 90s there was a crackdown on raves and what the, the bill used a phrase something like you know music characterized by the succession of repetitive beats <laughs> like, and that that's a little bit like uh, and, uh, the, the sort of fun-loving, carnivalesque uh, side of us, the Bacchanalian, as he, as he called it earlier, Freddie. It, it revolts against that, you know, and I think that's quite natural.
0: So, uh, so do you so- feel like now, I'm now completely breaking my own rules and just jumping to the present day. Do you think now we're in a, a sort of Puritan period or a... I mean, if there was a riot now, which side would you be on? And Do you you think the the Merry England is currently being suppressed and needs to be released,
3: or do you think there's plenty of it? It, It's really hard to say, because we do all still celebrate Christmas, and it's an incredibly sort of powerful idea. I mean, you know, a sort of Puritan or a, a Protestant prelate in the 1550s would be absolutely amazed that sort of four or 500 years later, this ancient pagan superstitious whatever popish festival... Um, were still being celebrated. So it's, it's definitely still there. I think there is a sort of puritanical strand in politics, in, on the left and on the right. sort of authoritarian strand, the people must be controlled. We mustn't give them this sort of freedom, license. You know, Christmas is a sort of period for license. But the sensible cultures, I think, you know, allow this kind of spirit to, to bubble up every now and then. They don't smash it down. It's a bit like Prohibition, you know, that seems like such an amazingly bad idea to us now, doesn't it? But that happened quite recently in, in the States, in the 1930s, and it, you know, alcohol was banned and it was, obviously it totally backfired.
0: So actually the kind of controlled release of a 12-day Christmas crazy period is actually sort of, might make you more hardworking or more productive in the uh,
3: Exactly, in
0: it, it might do. Yeah, sort of
3: bread and circuses idea.
2: If, if both right and left then are becoming more puritanical, what is the kind of political movement pro-Christmas? Is that the libertarian movement? Is, is I that? I suppose it would be a
3: libertarian, uh, uh, there, there's something about, um, you know, there, there's something in the, the, the clown uh, king leader, um, someone like Boris Johnson, which people actually find quite attractive, don't they? Well, you know? they used to
2: have the King of Misrule, the King who of they'd, Misrule. they'd give a crown to and they'd say, now you're in charge of kind of creating chaos. Creating
3: chaos, and, and there, there's something in us that, that actually likes that, you know. That it's might like,
2: be the Elon Musks of the world as is, well. It, he,
3: the, the clown capitalist. Yeah. So the clowns are quite popular, you know. Um, Freddie, you mentioned uh, Charles II. You know, it was quite a relief when he came back to the throne. He had long hair, he had mistresses at his court. He was very Borisy in a way. Uh, I, I think, you know, he actually had his, he, you know, he, he openly lived with his courtesans, like Boris did. And uh, that's quite unusual for a king. Nell Gwyn, the, the famous one, but there were lots of other ones. And he was called the Merry Monarch. Uh, and he had a sort of, these sort of merry courtiers around him. So I think, not that I would, I'm personally a fan of, you know, Tories and Boris and stuff, but there is that sort of fun-loving... Maybe they should be a political party, which... Uh,
2: the, ba- the Bacchanalians.
3: The Bacchanalians. Boris <laughs> <laughs> Johnson could definitely... The, the, Rishi Sunak not so much.
2: No, Rishi Sunak is pure Puritan, isn't he? He's,
0: the, he's a non-drinking... Um,
3: <laughs> he's non-drinking, restrained. you know, but there, there's, there's, there's that party culture in Hinduism too, though, isn't there? Like an absolute explosion of light, Diwali and so on. You know, um, noise, light, fireworks, shouting.
2: Maybe uh, he needs to embrace it. A bit more chaos for Rishi.
3: bit more chaos. Can you think of any... Uh, Merry politicians. It's a good question. I have to come back to you on that one, drawing
0: a blank. There's an idea in what you said earlier that I think is really quite important and interesting, which is that these moments of chaos were actually sort of moral in some way. Like, the fact that they were connected to charity, the king and the pauper would reverse roles. So it was a sort of... By turning society upside down for a while, you actually kind of mixed things up made connections that weren't there before, had greater sympathy for people in different positions, possibly literally helping them. Whilst at the moment, I suppose, people would think these kind of more bacchanalian, decadent, crazy times are sort of morally dubious. I don't know, maybe there's the thought that needs to be reintroduced that that sort of chaos actually goes alongside charity, isn't Mm. against it.
3: Mm. It it goes hand in hand in charity. That's obviously why the... um Uh, the church authorities of the later medieval period embraced it because they actually saved Freddie because they knew it was very good for society it was cohesive and it brought people together charity today is something that you sort of do at arm's length so you sort of give to a charity and hope that someone else will look after the homeless people but the aristocrats then were actually inviting the homeless people to have Christmas with them which is a very very different thing isn't it Um, and I think that was true I think that was true. I mean, I, I, I'm aware I, I sort of have a slightly rosy view of the Middle Ages, um, certainly, but there was much more, uh, sort of, m- more mixing up of sort of different classes, certainly a lot more social mobility than, than we think there was. Um, and there was a very, very strong middle class as well, you know, in places like Florence, which are run by the bourgeoisie, the, 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 um, the guild members. So, and a fair bit of plague,
0: early death indentured servitude i can feel the the, the, the <laughs> well, cross is, liberal now it's going on. To, yeah
3: this is, this is another argument yeah Although, you know um, when it comes to um child mortality and mortality in general things took a big dip in the 19th century so there hasn't actually been a sort of um, steady curve upwards which is what we often think like the further back you go the younger people died and today they you know today people do, do live uh, longer than they have done before
0: that's a beautiful segue to the 19th century by <laughs> so the, the 19th 19th way i can't century, let that yeah, yeah. Okay, slide so we, <laughs> Because you back? had wanted to talk about Dickens. <laughs> You've brought us back to the 19th century. Well, what's funny, what did Dickens do? Because
3: you don't read that much about Christmas in the 18th century. And Ronald Harton said it wasn't, wasn't actually a sort of massive deal. I mean, Dr. Johnson doesn't seem to sort of. I think that, you know, it, it was celebrated, but it wasn't the kind of Christmas that we have today. There was no Christmas tree. Um,
2: do you think there was still a hangover they, from that Puritan moment?
3: I think it was, still was a, must have been a hangover from when it was sort of completely banned. Mm. We really have Dickens to thank. A Christmas Carol was published in the 1830s, I think, or 1840s. That's right at the beginning of Victoria's reign. So almost at the end of George IV. And that introduced a whole new idea of Christmas, or I should say reintroduced a very old idea of Christmas. And I think Dickens was quite consciously uh, bringing back the kind of medieval ideas of Christmas and the... uh, is there a christmas in Shakespeare i mean uh, uh, anyway but the the, 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 the the merry the the feeling of sort of merriment and charity uh, and the attack on the um sort of joyless puritanical utilitarian creed of Scrooge um you know um why you can why you asking me for charity doesn't can't they go to the poorhouses or whatever he says you know mm. Um,
2: Tiny Tim being the kind of embodiment of the <laughs> yeah. those children in need, as we've now called them. <laughs>
3: exactly. Shall we uh, do a, a, a quote from...
0: You, you've you got a quote here from A Christmas Carol, um, which is the anarchic chaos of the Fezziwigs.
2: Flo, <laughs> no, the Fezziwigs your... are my my favourite Dickens family, I think. They are um, rotund, jolly, merry... They embody merriment, truly.
3: They, yeah. they, were, um, they were... Mr Fezziwig was... Scrooge's boss when he was young, I think. And then he's remembering this Christmas, which must have been pre-Victorian, actually. Um, So there must have been a Christmas tradition, yeah. yeah.
2: Well, the Fezziwigs were early adopters of the the Dickensian (laughs) Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. Um, So this is them. In came a fiddler with a music book and went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it and turned like 50 stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In came the six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. In came the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having bored enough for his master, trying to hide himself behind the girl from next door but one, who was proved to have had her ears pulled by her mistress. In they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came, anyhow and everyhow. Oh, beautiful. You get a beautiful tra- kind of train of mm, people mm. there. And what you get a sense of there is that not everyone would be welcome all year round. There's the boy who's not going to pay his rent at the end of the month. But the point is for this one day, they kind of reserve all judgment and just throw the doors open.
3: I think that might be an ancient thing too. When, you know, the the day when debts are forgiven and um, people sort of make up around the fire.
2: This is the big problem we had in COVID was that we had this tussle between landlords and renters about whether they would suspend the rent. So maybe they should have taken a leaf out of Fezziwig's book. They should, they should be more
3: charitable. Something that does worry me about the um, modern era is this sort of attack on fire. Not all environmentalists, because there's a big debate about this wood business. Um, but, you know, future generations might say, you know, there was, there was a puritanical attack on fire. <laughs> People weren't allowed to have fires or, or have bonfires or anything because they were worried about that. So they had to sort of gather around a, a, a radiator.
2: And in this a, a crisis of energy, the one thing that we could kind of all do with at the moment is, is an open fire in our homes but we've had them all taken away.
3: Another Christmas tradition which is seen in some quarters as sort of vulgar is that thing where um, people decorate their house with loads and loads of lights. You know, and there's this absolute explosion of like electric light all over the house and they have... Um, the, like, Blackpool like, like, like
2: Blackpool Illuminations style. Like
3: Blackpool Illuminations and George Monbiot sort of bicycles past on his like whatever, you know, bicycle. Um, it's like uh, that's a uh, waste of energy, you know. Um, but that's a bit sort of anti-fun because, you know, that, that's, that's in the tradition of the old Christmas again because Good. it's dark outside, so let's light up.
2: Mm. For, for the people on the street as much as for your own... For the
3: people on the street, It you actually faces outward, not well, The in Christmas it. tree here, it's, you know, and um, the, everything's dead. Uh, so it's, it's obviously natural to bring greenery inside. Oh, the Christmas inside. Tree's
0: actually a little bit dead. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> it's quite working dry back there.
3: I think the Christmas tree was uh, a German invention. But, but the idea of bringing, you know, holly and ivy into the house in the middle of the winter is ancient, ancient. Which is another
0: inversion, isn't it? It's the, you know, the top becomes the bottom and the outside becomes the inside. So it's sort of mixing it up. Victorians we are on, Dickens. I'm just, I need, you need to help me here. Are the Victorians then sort of reimagining the more cheerful Merry Christmas? Because we often think of Victorians as actually quite severe and moralistic. Uh, which way did that go then? By the end of Victoria's reign?
3: No, I think I think it, it, it turned into Wild Christmas. You know, and it, it, things became much more Christmassy at Christmas. But were they wild and sort of carnival-like atmosphere? The, the Victorians, I, I think of
0: the lots, the, the grand Christmas tree. Yeah. And a lot of and Dickens also retains a, a sort of quite moralistic attitude. I, were they having wild parties for Christmas? The Victorians, do we think?
3: It wasn't quite as good as. It wasn't quite as good as the medieval Christmas because it was only one day off, or well, like, you know, Bob Cratchit gets half a day off originally, doesn't he, on Christmas Day? And, and that was because of the factory system and the, you know, new capitalism. I'm going to try to answer my own question there. It
0: was a bit yeah. of a cheat because there's a clip that I really want us to play from one of my favorite movies, which is Fanny and Alexander, which is a Swedish film by Ingmar Bergman. And it's not actually Victorian. I think that it's set in the kind of Maybe this Edwardian or sort of 1910 kind of time, but it is very Victorian and, the, and there's this amazing very grand apartment in Uppsala, unbelievably bedecked with over-the-top Victorian Christmas decorations. There's the whole family coming together for the party, and I think maybe this clip captures that combination of kind of merriment with plenty. Let's have a look.) <laughs>
2: Som to the King inte England, på, hail Det är för där
1: kommer fast
2: <laughs>
0: so that clip, I think, maybe captures that contrast a little bit. It's it's very Victorian and proper in a way, and the, and the place is very decorated, and it's affluent, and it's sort of. Um, there's the whole family, there's the matriarch present, the kind of grand-grandmother who's presiding over the whole thing, but then the the lascivious uncle is going after one of the servant girls, people are getting up to no good in amongst the chaos, and maybe that was the sort of atmosphere.
2: This is where Dickens comes in again, because it's the return of the, the child, It's like the return to your original positions within the family. You see Bergman does that there, that all of the children are kind of lined up in age order. And they, even though some of them are now adults, they've returned to this kind of state of childhood wonder and awe, which are the other words that, along with merry and jolly, go along with the kind of festive period. And I think maybe Dickens has something to say there about the family element of Christmas, but also the chaos that your family bring when you go back and you revert to your childhood self. Mm.
3: People are a bit scared of that, aren't they? Regressing and having, you know, family fights and things. But, uh, but have,
2: have we been made to be scared of that? Because now every single yeah. kind of therapeutic article yeah. says, well, don't go back to your family for Christmas because you'll start behaving like a six-year-old again. <laughs> I mean, maybe we should. <laughs> that's the whole point. Like yeah, just embrace it. Just
3: be, be a six-year-old again. And I think that's the point that um, if we can move on a little in the chronology. We may. Thank we you, may. Freddie. Um, to the Freddie. Uh, to Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton. He, he was a sort of Catholic apologist and a, a, a bit of a medievalist uh, and he wrote a lot about Christmas in the sort of, I suppose, 1920s, 10s, that sort of period. And for him it really should be about play. Oh, uh, we should actually, can I just rewind back to Victorian because one thing of course that Victorians did is massively commercialised Christmas. They invented the Christmas cards, they, they turned it into a sort of, you know, there was, it was such a commercial age. Uh, Everyone was on the make and lots of money was being made, and 14s were made, 14s lost. So they developed this whole thing where, you know, Christmas uh, gifts had been given, I think I'm right to say, more at um, at New Year. There had been a tradition of giving gifts, but it's more like an orange. Um, It wasn't like they weren't particularly sort of elaborate or. Is that what you'll um, be giving a (laughs) fat capon? Yeah,
0: yeah. Is that that super? Excuse me, Gabe. BP, service social flowers. (laughs) (laughs) If they're lucky. so what did G. K. Chesterton have to say then? He so was...
3: so Chesterton was very much. This is about playfulness, and he said also it should be about doing nothing, idling. But he said uh, he he liked it writing in these sort of paradoxes. You know, Christmas is the um, time for doing nothing, and, and people prepare for it by being incredibly busy. So he said, you know, this rushing about, bustling on trams, and you know, mm. you can imagine it the, the sort of bustle in 1910, 1920, uh, the, the shopping that was going on, getting ready for Christmas, mm. and so on.
2: So um, so true of today, though. You get people exactly saying, like that, yeah. God, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed about this period that I'm going to be relaxed in. Like, they get so worried yeah. about the perfect Christmas day yeah. that's going to be entirely relaxing that yeah. it almost nukes the whole thing. Well,
3: that's, what, that's what's gone wrong, isn't it? That there's this sort of um, Instagram-y perfectionism. Uh, that everything's got to be sort of perfectly done. And, and, and oh God, it's going to be a, a, a massive sort of headache and hassle, which may be a result of nuclear families. I mean, maybe in medieval period, you had bigger households and certainly Victorian times.
2: Well, certainly more children. That means more cousins and more second cousins and all of that. More
3: people to share the work, you know. And, you know, we, 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 we disapprove a bit morally now. But I mean, these Victorian households, you know, even quite a sort of modest household, like a, uh, like a doctor's household had like a, a cook and a maid and an undermaid and a maid or whatever, you know. So everyone's sort of you know many hands make light work so but what
0: it, what do you think tom that we should sort of conclude from this for when we're now i'm going to allow us to go to the present now you know we're in this weird time now where a lot of these festivals have lost connection to where they originally came from there's the normal Yearly controversy about cancelling Christmas, and we're not allowed to say Happy Christmas. We have to say Happy Holidays. All of those things, which literally happen every single year, and there does feel a little bit like people aren't sure what they're supposed to be doing. So, what's your Christmas message then? If I'm sitting at home watching this on the twenty third of December, what is the, the the sermon from the idler from Tom is is what?
3: I think the Sermon from the Ardlid is very simply, be very merry, it's a time for merrymaking, um, whatever your sort of cultural background. Every year, as you say, Freddie, there's a story that, you know, have you heard Birmingham Council wants to rename it Winterville, which apparently is not true, that never, ever happened. It's a sort of, a, you know, uh, apocryphal story. Um, but I think it's great to call it Christmas. It's a time for freedom, for doing what you want, for not working, for mucking around, for being silly um, and being, being completely free.
0: And not feeling guilty about it, because actually the message is there's a sort of moral argument for mixing things up. Exactly. So, you know, it's actually morally good to eat, drink and be merry. So last year, I think we did quite a, a, a serious Christmas special, which was all about putting the Christ back into Christmas. I think that was the... Headline, well, this year we are putting the merry back into Christmas. Thanks to Tom Hodgkinson at The Idler, and thanks to you for tuning in. Merry Christmas.
2: Merry Christmas.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.